Welcome everybody to a new episode of Quick Snaps. This one's a little offbeat. Kostaki had the idea to basically interview me about You Lucky Dog Productions and all the inner workings. It took some doing, but he convinced me to do it. Yeah, it was kind of a fun conversation. I was only a little bit squeamish. But uh, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it if you're into comedy and want to know about what's going on with my comedy record label. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Hope you're staying safe and quarantined. Uh, this corona thing is weird because I did some gig plugs off the top that I had to take out because obviously things are changing rapidly and... You could just go to Kostaki.com for updated info on gigs that are probably canceled, but who knows? Who knows? Um, buy live at Acme, maybe, because Kostaki's losing a lot of money. My day-to-day hasn't changed too much so far, but uh, I have had one recording canceled so far, and probably another. Uh, it'll probably get worse, but, uh, you know, hope you're safe, hope you're doing well, and hope you're enjoying all this football news that's coming out, and we'll have a more football-specific episode coming out soon. Enjoy! Alright, hey everybody, welcome into a very special episode of uh, Quick Snaps, Comedy Football Talk. I am Kostaki Economopoulos, and I am about to interview... Aaron Hodges. Wow, good get. About his, yeah, it's a big get. It's a big get. Mark Schlereth is quaking in his boots, <laughs> feeling like he's about to be replaced. Let's let's do a quick uh, gig plug and then dive in here. Sure. Um, I have a bunch of crazy good gigs coming up, more so than I usually do. Good for you. More so than the usual high bar. Corona alert! Corona alert! Gig plugs have been edited. Some have been rescheduled and canceled. Please check Kostaki.com for updated info. Kostaki.com for all your Kostaki needs. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Fuck off, Corona. I'm so dumb for not knowing this. Kostaki.com for all the tornadoes. Henry Phillips. Why is that? Why did that escape me? He's great. In fact, I just had lunch with Henry Phillips this week. So Henry Phillips, uh, famed for several things, uh, among them uh, Henry's Kitchen, like this sort of uh, spoofy thing he does on YouTube. Uh, which he's doing great with, by the way. He's a, a chef. He basically had a viral video in 2011 where he sort of did this like four minute thing where he was like kind of making fun of cooking shows because he watched them like all day long for a few days in a row. Sure. Um, and now he does it regularly. He has a thing called Henry's Kitchen, and it's sort of Henry. It's sort of Henry at home. You know, kind of screwing up and cooking stuff for himself, kind of thing. Fun. Yeah, it's actually really well done. He's he's a filmmaker. He's the one who did Punch in the Clown, and so he knows what he's doing. Uh, anyway, Henry and I will be doing uh, Weston, Wisconsin, and Wisconsin Rapids uh, at the beginning of April. I'm going off to Spokane after that to the Spokane Comedy Club. Then I'm doing Joker's Comedy Club in Richland, Washington. May includes Lansing and Wabash, Indiana, and Anderson, Indiana. Those are with Bob Zaney. Uh, Danville, Illinois is on tap. 
Cincinnati, Ohio. Jeez, man, you are busy. Oh, yeah, it's that's all this side of June. And then the summer there'll be some more stuff uh, as well, including Laughing Gas Comedy Club in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. That's a newish club. Um, it's got a lot of heart. I love that guy. I talked to him for quite a while recently. Anyway, check all that out, Kostaki.com. If you don't mind, I'd like to dive right in to our very special episode. Lead the way, sir. You, my friend, uh, have a very interesting life, and I have a lot of questions for you. And so I pitched to you recently, why don't we just make this an episode Yeah. about what you're doing? Um, now, we'll focus mostly on your professional life. You have an interesting life otherwise, but today I want to talk to you about your, your job. You, uh, you are a comedy album producer. What's the <laughs> phrase that you use? I basically run a comedy record label and production company. That's okay. the concise description. I like it. Yeah. Now, you just to give a little uh, backstory here, you worked at Sirius for a full decade just prior to this chapter of your life. Correct. Yes. Um, and you, uh, in a very noble way, left Sirius as you were. Uh, working on my new album so you didn't have this sort of <laughs> a conflict uh, of interest that uh, nobody else seems to be concerned with in any other yeah, facets right. of entertainment yeah, yeah. I mean it's a, <laughs> it's a legit business concern for anyone with this with scraps of morals floating around in their bones right um, and actually you are <laughs> I, I, will, I will leave him unnamed but somebody questioned that and I was during this process and I was yeah. very clear I go look he's leaving on this day the album comes out he built the whole schedule around not having a conflict of interest on this yeah you were my escape plan so that maybe that's where things started to go wrong so you did my uh, <laughs> your first album <laughs> yeah yeah that's right your first album uh, was my most recent album uh, we did uh, live at Acme together um, and that was sort of your entrance into this world and your exit from Sirius. Where, by the way, just to give some more background, you did all kinds of things over the course of a decade at Sirius, including, and again, pardon me if I'm getting the language wrong. That's all right. You're, you were the, the essentially the creative director of Raw Dog, one of their big comedy channels, right? Uh, in a way, yeah. Uh, there were some things that were above me that they forced me to put on the air, but uh, for the most part, yeah. For as far as the, the stand-up and the sketches and and the actual like comedy bits, yeah, I was programming that channel for uh, a couple of years. You know, I had to do a lot leading up to that, but yeah, in a sense, I right. guess I was choosing what was getting played on on SiriusXM. Besides, like a handful of specialty shows some that i that i actually did advocate for and did like and some that were thrown at me right that's the nature of any creative enterprise you don't get to control all the right. parts <laughs> right um but the ones that were right. thrown at me were enough to kind of like push me out the door a little bit easier right but to me again i don't I don't want to over gush, but I want to be honest at the same time. Like to me, you're the perfect storm of things because you had, you clocked a 10 year, you clocked 10 years at Sirius. You know, comedy forwards and backwards. You're uh, a gigantic. Know. Yeah. 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 Just give, give me a no, second. You're, you're a gigantic fan of comedy <laughs> and you've even done stand up comedy. Yeah. 
and you've done a lot of editing and you understand like the right length of a clip that Sirius is going to play and you have connections over there uh, and you're easy to work with and you offer a great deal. I mean, to me, you're a freakishly good comedy album producer. This is just uh, the boost I needed today. <laughs> so I'm fascinated by your life because... It's such an interesting thing. First of all, to have the balls to just jump off of a corporate chip that has that sends you checks and you you know what I mean? Like to just go do your own thing is a daydream that most humans have and they never fulfill it, right? So just doing that in any form of taking a swing and being your own entrepreneur and running your own thing is astounding. And to and to do it successfully in the comedy in a creative realm, a very competitive universe is even more impressive. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you some questions about how all this works. Fire away, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little bit uncomfortable with all of this and the gushing and all that stuff, but uh, somehow you convinced me to do this. So because you're um, a nice guy, that's why. Because uh, because you're a nice, modest, middle American, kind, menschy dude. No, you know, and you compliments know, make you squirmy. That's why. It, no, it's not even that. It's just that, like, sometimes I just don't feel like you know I should be speaking from any kind of position of authority or expertise because i feel like i am still figuring it out as i go you know and of course and there's so many mistakes that have been made and and lessons to be learned still so just and that's fine like yeah okay i I just i guess i need to say that (laughs) well fair so let's let's frame it this way this is two buddies hanging out and i'm asking you all the questions that i've always wanted to ask you yeah and uh, we're just going to let it all hang out. And if there's something really egregious and awful or personal or money-oriented that you want to edit out later, you the, get the final edit. <laughs> so in the meantime, I'm just going to ask you everything. That's true. I, I guess I do have control over that, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, final edit is an understatement at what you have in this situation. <laughs> all right. Let it be known. Whatever comes uh, out of this interview is my choice. You literally edit it and then post it without checking with me to see what, where we are. So you control all this stuff. Okay. Um, all right. Um, You've got several albums under the label now. What's the actual number? Where are we? Are are we approaching twenty? Where are you? We're past twenty. We're approaching twenty-five and getting close to thirty. Oh my goodness gracious! That was fast. Okay, so you're even ahead of where I thought you were. Yeah. Um, it seems to the casual observer that your business works a little bit like tech stocks. Like how? If you. If you invest in 30 of them and two of them hit, you're you're great. Like the it it pays for all of the investments in the other 28. Yeah, the, I guess yeah. It seems like because you have let's go through let's back this up one more notch. You have significant upfront costs on all these things. Sometimes, sometimes I don't. Oh, that's one of my questions. All right. So you just did Larry Bubbles Brown. Yeah, which can, is can actually coming it's actually coming out at midnight tonight. I don't know if you're who when people are listening, but yeah, that's coming out. Larry Bubbles Brown. It's got to get better. It's a great album. Uh Larry's a, a I'm, uh, he's a local legend for sure in San Francisco Bay Area 
and he came up with sorry i just turned into company man now and gotta plug it um <laughs> and you, you turned off modest man and yeah, you're a promotion yeah. man no that's he, fair because i'm bragging about someone else um yeah that's good but he has been doing comedy for 30 plus years and never put out an album he came up with like robin williams and dana carvey and you know all these people that were coming up around that time as, right. as some of those people like he's in, he's in a documentary uh it's called three still standing with him will durst and johnny Steele are the main characters but there's cameos from all kinds of people oh i love johnny Steele. underrated it's worth checking out it's on youtube you can just watch it for free um three still standing but i mean johnny this- Steele was the host when i did the san francisco competition a hundred years ago mm-hmm. and he was great so the premise is just like these are the these old dogs in comedy that you know are they ever going to make it it's so hard out here that kind of thing so um they kind of follow them around and just talk to several different comedians about what it is to be a comedian in in this world uh so it's interesting it's definitely worth checking out but a lot of those comics are like yeah larry might be the funniest of us all so he's a weird dude oh i'm actually gonna there's a there's a great football joke on the album. I'm not even going to try to recreate it, but maybe I'll plug it in here uh, as a promo for the album. Go get it. Oh, there you go. Look at you. How quickly you've turned. It's it's <laughs> it's really good. It's one of those things, and this joke in particular, it has like a punchline that you couldn't call in a million years. <laughs> and That's a good compliment just, for a joke, yeah. Yeah, like the, the word choice is like, it's nothing... Like it's not groundbreaking. It's it's something like you might hear in everyday conversation, but there's no way you would guess that punchline. And I just that's the kind of shit that excites me that I get it. Like when I hear that, when I go like, there's no way I could I couldn't call that. Nobody could call that. Oakland Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. Uh, interesting team. The Oakland Oakland to L.A. back to Oakland now to Las Vegas. That is the classic migratory pattern of someone trying to avoid child support. <laughs> Is daddy there? No, he moved. I'm hungry, man. <laughs> These all end sadly. <laughs> yeah, so he's coming out at midnight. And getting back to the costs, that one, yeah, that one costs a little bit of money because we had to make a choice of whether or not I was going to fly out there and do the actual recordings myself or hire an engineer. And by the time we worked out the, you know, the cost where we were, we recorded three different shows at three different locations. So I did the math and I said, all right, well, you know, average engineer is going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of like 500 a show or, you know, it might be a little less. It's not usually right. going to be a little more than that, but I said, all right, well, now we're talking about $1,500. I think I can fly out there and bring the equipment and do it even cheaper than, than that. So, yeah, there was it ended up being somewhere around that, $1,500. So, yeah, that's the money that you can, you can sink into something. And, I mean, that's 1500 is pretty cheap, actually, but I mean, you could easily spend a lot more money than that. Um, right. And oh, that, yeah. I mean, that's just for the recording and, and distribution. And, and but you're bringing stuff. your knowledge and your equipment 
and your wherewithal to, the, I mean, your, your opportunity costs and your travel expenses. And I mean, all of that, that's all, that ends up being a pretty significant number. And we have, we're not even touching the artwork and the, right. and the distribution and all the other headaches. And you're, you as the producer, are you taking on those upfront costs uh, yourself? Or are they part of a kitty that you're kind of sharing? Is he contributing? How does this typically work for you? Uh, it goes a lot of different ways. Like, yeah, like I pay for it up front and then recoup it from like the sales and the streams. So whatever our split ends up being, I have to make that money back before we start splitting it. Uh, okay. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, that's that was my guess, actually, is yeah. how you did it. Okay. And, and then, I mean, there's other ways. Um, I mean, if the, if the artist takes on some of the cost, then, you know, we're splitting right away. Right. It's flexible. It's not a hard and fast model. Right. But to so that the listener understands what we're talking about, there's a lot of money to be made in royalties now. It's a it's the last, I don't know, the last 10-ish years this this new yeah, it's not new. I mean, it's something ASCAP has been doing forever, but the spoken word universe has caught up a little bit in terms of how they do distributions and royalties on things when they play a clip of live at Acme on Sirius X amount of money goes towards paying the artist for that. And the producer gets a big chunk of that. Um, and these are, you know, sometimes many thousands of dollars on a thing by the course of the, by the course of the end of a year. So you got 30 albums in the universe and you get 50 cents from this one and, 20,000 from that. I mean, there's a big range on what could happen here. And so you're putting up a lot of upfront costs early and a lot of distribution work and tax efforts and keeping track of all this crazy universe that you're in. And then it's sort of, not to make it sound too passive, but it sort of becomes mailbox money, right? Most of your work and expenses at the front, it's an investment in a thing that could pay off lifetime quite a lot and often doesn't right <laughs> yeah i mean the game seems to be changing every day there's a lot of people that have jumped into the the small production company record label game even since i started about three years ago i think there's at least like four companies that have popped up that i know of um right so i guess they saw me do it and they go if this fucking idiot can do it then Anybody can. Um, <laughs> well, so the competition I, is constantly there. I mean, and then there's sure. there's on top of that, there's always new companies popping up on top of the big dogs that, you know, they 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 have a strong stranglehold on a lot of uh, the facets of of this uh, industry. So it's constant competition and constant. On my end, I'm constantly trying to figure out how do I do it better. Um, right, and I'm at the point now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where I'm almost three years in, and I feel like I gotta evolve a lot, and um, in in certain ways I, I am, but there's also certain ways where I'm lacking, and I just have to figure out uh, how I can how I can get better. And if sometimes you know, I don't know. There's a there's a lot of things to consider because my current deal is better than most, and I think like right now. I've proven that I can do this. So right. 
do I raise my percentage a little bit or is that going right. to keep people from wanting to work with me? Cause is that's what, that's what's attractive. And then if I raise my percentage, then what am I, how am, what's, how am I justifying that? What am I doing right. differently? How, what am I doing better? What am I offering the comics that they can't get somewhere else? Right. So it's a lot of wrestling with that. And then it's like, well, maybe you get into a different, kind of space where you know i built this studio in my basement so now i'm thinking about you know do i want to bring people in that want to record podcasts is there a market in this area i'm not even sure but maybe that's a, another kind of income so i don't know i'm right. i'm on the the precipice of either greatness or great despair <laughs> i don't well, think there's any between uh, man you just described being in business for yourself. I mean, every day has flashes of both of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a lot to juggle. It feels like an everyday struggle for me. So, right. Um, it's always, you, yeah. I, all right. I have many questions. Yeah. Do you, do you, are you, well, you, well, you and I did it. We, it was the first of all, we were buddies and it was your first one. And I already sort of had a couple of the key components handled because my wife is a, you know, professional photographer and has got a real good eye for design. So we did the cover. And I also had a good situation where I basically had the recording handled. Are you, in going forward after that, are you involved in the cover art? Are you helping with that? Do they bring that to you? Do you suggest stuff? Is that completely their thing? Who's paying for that? How does that work? It's really a case-by-case basis. Um, sometimes the, the comic already has somebody that they know and they have they come with a concept already. Sometimes it's already done. Um, and if not, if they're kind of just like, ah, I just want to throw my hands up and whatever you think is good, you go ahead and do it, um, then... I I'm capable of of doing some good work, but usually I'm gonna have to hire somebody because I'm not that I'm not talented in in that arena. So yeah. um, usually I have to to hire somebody. Uh, but more often than not, the the comic is handling the cover art. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what about big names versus quality what do you i mean like what do you look for when you're picking a comic to be another album in your universe are you are you you're thinking ahead of like how is is serious gonna like this guy is this gonna sing on pandora like what are your what are your business goals when you're when you're talking about working with a comic or not <laughs> uh yeah i mean most of them the the secret is out everybody knows that you know you get played on Sirius XM that that play that pays more way more than everybody so that's often what's being prioritized as far as content and you know where where they want their stuff placed and where I want their stuff placed it's 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 always Sirius XM first um and then really I don't know as far as stature um I don't really concern myself too much with like I I don't know I think that might like the way that I look at things may have to change a little bit that's part of my evolution here I think because like to start with you my first three albums were people that 
you know, I basically have a relationship with that you may even call a friendship. Uh, so there are people that I was comfortable with that, you know, we, I could, right. I could learn on the fly here. It was fine. And then we kind of ventured into a lot of uh, compilation albums. So I started working with a lot of people. I was working with Emma Willman and she was, she was hosting these, uh, I guess, yeah. I guess it's like a mixtape show. You could call it. Called that's the, in my notes here to ask you about. Good, yeah, good segue. It's called the check spot. So we were working with you know four, five, six comedians at a time, putting out an album a month with like five different comics for almost a year. So that was kind of where my focus was, and I think intentionally I knew that that would help build my network as well because I was just working with so many other people. And some, you know, some of them I was picking, but a lot of them Emma was picking too. So it was people that I that I didn't know. So it was just kind of establishing. A, uh, my wife's calling. Let me hold on one second. Um, hold on. Yeah. Can I call you back? Okay, bye. You still there? I'm here. Okay, sorry. Um, so, yeah, so I was working with a lot of different people with the check spot, and I knew that that would kind of expand the network of people that I could work with, and some of them have come back, and I've worked with them on their their solo albums. So, like, Casey Balsham, Christian Duran, I'm probably going to... Tom Cassidy is another one. He's coming out March 20th. Very funny dude. Um, I know I'm going to forget. Oh, Anjan, Anjan Bizwaz. Some of these comics that I worked with on the check spot, I've continued to work with on their individual albums. So I think that worked out really well. That, yeah, that's that was, smart. That was I a, mean, you're basically doing, you're almost doing a guest set. And if you get them some plays, then they're like, oh, this guy, this is, this is great. I'm going to go do my album with him, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I tried to, be as easy to work with as possible and I, th- I think it worked out for you know not everybody got played so um, right you know there's varying degrees of people that are happy with me or unhappy with me and uh, that's hard to live with too right but so much of that is outside of your control I yeah mean, you have to understand that sure. it's a crazy maze that sometimes you get you get to the cheese and sometimes you don't and that's not necessarily because you suck it running a maze you know? it's like, <laughs> give me the cheese baby <laughs> but right i mean am i right in yeah. sort of framing it that way there's a it's a, there's a whole machine between here and there and not all of it's about what you do uh, so what yeah that's what that leads me to this other sort of it's i guess it's a variation of what i already asked you like i've always thought this about comedy club owners what do you do like take the two extremes do you book somebody? Are you willing to book somebody that you think sucks, but you know will sell tickets? You know, and also on the other end of that, do you book comics that you think are geniuses that definitely aren't going to sell tickets? And how do you and how do you balance? I mean, to take the extremes, I mean, is that like a, if a comedy club might book Screech? You know what I mean? Or somebody like Andy Kindler. I mean, Kindler has gotten a little bit better at branding himself, and he's starting to sell some tickets. But Kindler was sort of the – he was my go-to example of, like, a brilliant comic, but not someone who's well-known or, you know, 
it's going to move move the ball on ticket sales, right? And I've, I've always been interested in those kind of dis- creative decisions when you're running a business. Uh, <laughs> And and you to a lesser extent have the same problem, right? You you might you must hear bits where you're like, "This guy's a fucking genius," but I don't know if I can get him played anywhere, right? Do you have that problem, or someone who has a little bit of a name and street cred, where you're like, well, "I don't really care for this, but I know it's going to work." Do you have those two extremes in your life? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's always a, a choice. I think. Um, for the most part, I just try to go with people that I think are funny. Sometimes I I have gone where I'm like, well, I don't know if I love it, but I think somebody does. Right, right. So I go like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot, see how it goes. And sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised by how well it does. And sometimes I'm disappointed because it just doesn't make any sense because... Sometimes I I think that some of these albums are really good, and then it's like uh, only like a couple tracks really take off, and then uh, sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't know how this how this one is gonna be received, and that one is wildly successful, and I'm like, I don't like I don't know, I think, right. I mean, there, I'm at a loss because. I think we're all slaves to algorithms in one way or another, and uh, so that definitely, it already sounds like excuses that I'm making, but it's like, I I just don't know what we're doing in this world anymore and how to reach people. I don't know how to do it. Right, that's the maze that I'm referring to. It's a crazy machine between here and there, and you don't even... Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it makes no sense what lands and what doesn't and what gets grabbed and taken and what, you know, I mean, even in my own small experience with my albums, uh, sometimes I'm like, that's the bit that gets all the plays. Right. Yeah. You're like, uh, there's like four or five jokes that you have a lot of pride in where you're like, these are my best jokes. And those are the ones that are like not as well received. And you're like, oh, they like that basically a knock knock joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, within the within the range of whatever you think is your point system is, sometimes they play the one and the two and not the nine or the ten, you know? And yeah. it, and that's true in any creative endeavor. When I was, I used to fax jokes to The Tonight Show for a little while, and sometimes they picked one that was like, that's the fucking joke? I barely even wrote that down. Yeah. And other ones, I'm like, this is the joke. <laughs> They're going to open the monologue with this. Never see it ever again. You know? It's um, it's fascinating and, and intriguing to me and and crazy, you know, and and, and it's true in, in life too. I was, you know, the, like whatever. Like I talked to Henry Phillips this week about Henry's kitchen, and I asked him the world's dumbest question, which is, what makes something viral? Because we're all fascinated by how this happens, and the answer is the most ethereal, fucking mushy thing possible, which is. I don't know, you know, like <laughs> I think I it, it kind of those stars aligned and I did something good and it mm-hmm. just had this resonance. And of course, you try to recreate that and it usually doesn't work. You know, it's that's fascinating. Um, Slaves to the algorithm. All right. So you reference this and that's my question for you, because you actually deal with these numbers in the pantheon of places where 
comedians have their stuff played and royalties show up in mailboxes. What's the percentage of that that's serious? Of the money? Yeah. I'm going to I have a number in my head and I'm not going to say it. Oh, okay. I was going to say what do you think it is? You know better than I do. I'm going to guess 91%. I was going to say 90. Yeah. I it's it's a big percentage. It's almost all of it. Yeah. I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. And are the other platforms catching up? Pandora seems to be surging in this universe. Yeah, Pandora's and I, pretty and good. And I know Spotify and a couple of the other guys are doing more comedy than they used to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still like Apple Music uh, pays more than Spotify. Uh, Spotify pays almost nothing. You know, Amazon is still there a little bit. Right. I forgot about Amazon. Slacker radio is sometimes surprisingly uh, a lot of money comes in from that for some people. Really? Yeah. It's Slacker radio is pretty good. Uh, one of my old bosses actually programs some of the stuff over there. John McDermott. Um and uh, he, oh, yeah, he does. I know John. Yeah, McDermott. you remember him? John McDermott was the one that sort of initially. Am I remembering this right? Sort of brought me into the serious universe to do the lot, do the football jokes. Is that John? Yeah, I believe he was the head honcho when you were introduced to the world. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He I liked mean, it. I, he was I, always a big fan. Yeah, yeah, he was really good to me. It's nice to hear that these humans that are sort of good to you make their way into another slice of the same you know business universe that's cool all right i got more questions here make sure i don't miss anything has serious play changed with the comedy central and netflix channels i feel like the way that the i mean it only makes sense because those are such gigantic brands in the comedy universe that serious wants to embrace those but it seems like you're shifting money from the middle and lower class comics to the ones that are already making bank (laughs) right i mean if you have a netflix special you're doing just fine you know you don't need the extra serious plays to pay your rent yeah yeah um but not that that's not that that's anybody's problem but comics but i just it strikes me as that sort of that's moving the money up the chain not down right well, I mean, that's what it's always been about. This is America, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. No, I, di- I didn't mean that as I was suggesting they're doing something wrong. It just feels like there's a shift away from sort of the middle class unknown comic towards the yeah towards I'm, the top in those moves. I'm out of the loop. I don't know what's happening over there as far as like what decisions that they're making. But one thing that I do know and that will always be true about SiriusXM is that they care about big brands more than they do about people. So yeah. uh, if they can attach their name to Netflix or Comedy Central or whoever the, the big dog is, then they're going to do it. And that's where they're going to put their priorities. So, yeah, that makes sense business-wise. I get it. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I don't know how much it, how much that really affects the other channels because I mean, people that are being played on on Netflix, Comedy Central, they're people that are under that umbrella in one way or another. Whether or not they put out a Netflix special or a Comedy Central half hour or a Comedy Central album, things like that. So, like, if you're not under that umbrella, you're not getting played on that station anyway. Right. So. Uh, basically, that leaves you 
Raw Dog, that leaves you Comedy Greats, that leaves you Laugh USA, that leaves you Jeff and Larry's Comedy Roundup, and that leaves you Kevin Hart's uh, LOL channel. Right, which used to be the Fo- Jamie Foxx thing, right? The Foxhole, but Jamie Foxx ain't the brand anymore, it's Kevin Hart. Right. It's funny, because Kevin Hart isn't even... He's not nearly as urban, quote unquote, as Jamie Foxx is in terms of style. Nah, right? I don't know how you measure that. <laughs> yeah, you can. You cannot measure that. That's a good point. <laughs> there is no machine that measures that. Look, he's, um, he's black and he's a huge star. That's what it is. Of course. Yeah. Right. Of course. So, but yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not saying he shouldn't have the channel. He's certainly like earned his stature in the business for sure. He's a, he's a great comic, and I I think he's. I don't know, this isn't like a, anything to do with Kevin Hart, but I mean, yeah, sure. He is the, like the new Jamie Foxx, I guess, in, in terms of yeah, like yeah. who's the biggest black comic. And, you know, the, these, these, those comics need a channel for sure. They're underrepresented if you're, you know, black or Latino or it's kind of like a, a catch all of, of minorities that get played over there. And I think it's, right. I think it's necessary for sure. So. More, yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. I'm just saying he's not, he's not earthquake, and it's a different kind of. It's a the flavor is different with Kevin Hart. He's a lot more mainstream. He's not, he's not really representative of sort of urban comedy in the way that it was initially sort of. Oh, branded. so he's too mainstream, is what you're saying? No, no, I agree with everything you said. That Kevin Hart's great, and it makes sense that he's the face of that. It just. It's a little more mainstreamy than what I envision that channel being. And again, that's just my vision as an outsider. I would put Earthquake in charge of a channel in a heartbeat. Yeah, right. He's he's more. Again, these these are tricky words, but he's more branded as a as a black comic than a mainstream comic. I call right? him Quake, though. We're we're buddies. of course. Yeah. I I've called him Quake for twenty years. <laughs> he's from Atlanta. I used to watch Quake when I was an open micer. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was the king of black comedy in Atlanta when I was kind of like an MC, you know, and he would host the shows at Uptown and the show. I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes those shows were three, four, five hours long. And and, and the structure of those, Jeez, it's, it's the old sitting it's, through that. And, well, uh, very well dressed black people. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, that's the short answer. So. Quake would it's an it's, he did the old Boston style where he would host the show and headline the show and do big chunks of time in between all the comics. He was basically it was earthquake and then twenty dudes doing five or ten minutes. That's wild. Yeah, I mean it was he owned that place. He was the man, and he was really good at it. I mean, you would watch him and just, I mean, speaking for me, I would watch. It was just he was just like a god, but he couldn't couldn't is the wrong word he didn't try hard and succeed at doing the comedy like that in a mainstream club as much he was very much specific to that sort of subculture of comedy but man he was the king of it let me ask you something yeah do you have a specific demographic in mind when you're crafting your material do you are you trying to reach a certain type of person are you just you know, I, I mean, I mean, you're trying to relate and have people relate to you, so you kind of you must have an idea in your head who you're talking to. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the default for most comics is to sort of 
think about your immediate friend circle and you're kind of trying to be funny to those people. Mm -hmm. So for most comics, the general sort of path is to, you're talking to the demo that you are. It's the more natural choice, right? And so your references and your point of view and your your life is what has resonance. And so people who have the mo- more similar life are more likely to connect with you. That doesn't mean that whatever, a 21-year-old a, a black woman couldn't find me hilarious, but that's not typically the demo that I, in my head, that I'm talking to, right? And I think there's some comics uh, who on purpose are kind of narrowing that to a specific thing that they're aiming for. And sometimes they make a choice to do it outside of their demo on purpose. Okay. You know, like like the perfect example is the white dude who did all the BET shows for 20 years. What's his name? <laughs> um Doctor Handsome John, or what's his name? <laughs> Handsome John, I forgot that name. That's not that's his going name. way back. That's not all the right. Name, well, that's a it? good example too. The amazing. That's what's a, his name? That's not it. That's not the guy that I was trying to think of, but that is a good example. Or like I don't know, like the Michael Rappaport. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Take my buddy Tom. Tom and I were exactly the same demo. We're we're pretty much exactly the same age. We even look a little bit alike. We both grew up and and did open mics in Atlanta. Uh, and Tom was fascinated with the with the urban comedy scene and became friends. He was good friends with Quake and the guy that ran the Uptown Comedy Club corner, whatever the name of that club was. And so he ended up hanging around there and he worked at it and he would go up in front of 97 percent black audiences. And he ended up figuring out how to do it pretty well, because it's just a muscle that. I don't work, so I'm not good at it. But I could. I could get good at it. It's the same thing like if you've never done a cruise ship, you're not going to be good at doing cruises that first time. It takes a while. It's a different muscle. Or corporates or colleges or, you know, like I could be hilarious in Australia if I worked at it, but I just fly over there and do a couple sets. They're not going to really land yet because I haven't worked that muscle. So to me, the Black Club was just another one of those things that was different enough that it was something you had to try hard at being good at. Gotcha. I, I actually used to explain this to people. I went and backpacked and did a couple sets around Australia once, and I was shocked that it was more similar than doing a set at Uptown. Like, I was literally on the other side of the earth. It was similar to, to the Atlanta Club? It was more similar to my regular comedy experience. Oh, then, Do, right. Doing a set at a bar in Melbourne was more similar than doing a set 20 minutes from where I grew up. Isn't that in a, fascinating? In a, in a black club, yeah. quote unquote, black oh, yeah. club. That because that just, it separated itself as being an experience that was that had its own set of expectations. That It's not that they couldn't laugh at white people. And those same people, if they went to the punchline, could be great audience members for a mainstream comic but in the umbrella of the uptown comedy corner there's a certain expectation about the kind of comedy that you're going to have in there and when you're not that thing they're not they're not too thrilled with it being kind of infiltrating their universe yeah well i mean they could smell blood on you right away they're like this guy's never played basketball 
Right, of course. Yeah, <laughs> me especially because I'm not good at any of the things that they value the most. Like, I'm not big. I'm not great at improv. I'm not, you know, doing characters. But, you know, Tom got good at it, and Tom would go in there and kill sometimes. And I never killed in there. I, I pulled it off. I ended up going and working on it because they gave me a BET set because I was a writer. So I went and tried to figure it out, but I wasn't. It was never something that I was going to destroy it. Anyway, we're way off topic. <laughs> Bring but it back to me. Yeah, it's, it is fascinating. That there's so many different subcultures of, of anything, but of stand-up comedy. Um, all right, so back to you. Do comics come to you now, or are you going to them? Or is it some crazy mishmash of sort of finding each other through the ether? Right now, it's a lot of coming to me. It's a lot of um, recommendations. So friends of comics that I've worked with that are happy with me, they go, I'll talk to Aaron. And uh, then we start a conversation, and then we decide whether or not it makes sense to work together. That's where it's at right now. To be honest with you, I don't have the luxury of being able to go out to the clubs right now and be searching for the next person that I want to work with. I'm drowning right. in work right now. So it's like, right. it's a good thing, but it takes up most of my time. I'm constantly trying to figure out what's the most important thing that I have to work on today. Right now, I, I mean, I don't see that changing for pretty much the, the rest of this year. I mean, I'll like I go to uh, an album release party on Wednesday, and there's a few people on that bill that, I don't know that I'll see for the first time and maybe I'll like them and maybe we'll talk. And so usually like the people that I'm seeing for the first time are people that are like involved in something that I'm already involved in. Uh, so it's, it's not a lot of scouting right now, but there are some potential opportunities. And this is the other thing I might start expanding the business and I have to like restructure it maybe where I may have some, employees or regular freelancers that are working with me um whether it be out in san francisco or elsewhere so it may turn into into that where i actually am paying people to find me the the next comic to work with you know what i mean so yeah that's something that's on the table right now because i and i also i'm trying to find people that are good audio mixers and engineers that know comedy and all that stuff that can take off some of that burden off of me too because ultimately what I have to do this year is become more organized, learn how to delegate, and be a better businessman. Right. I got right. the the audio stuff down. I got it. I'm good. I can always get better. I know, and there's other aspects of that that I want to explore but it's not necessarily like comedy album related. There's just, I, I, yeah, I just, I, that's where my focus is, is going to go for the rest of this right. year. But yeah, right now I'm not like actively out there looking for people. I actually had to turn some people down because I'm, I'm scheduled out for a long time <laughs> right, right now. So it's good. It, aren't guys like, you know, I'm I'm not sure I've nailed this, but aren't guys like me and Brian Miller your best sort of, you know, like uh, connective pieces into the universe? Because they we work with you and like how you do with our album, and then you 
we tell our friends and isn't that sort of the best path to everybody pretty much yeah um right. yeah, i don't know what's going on with brian we we talked for a little bit about uh, about doing an album but uh kind of fell off uh so i don't know what his plans are to be honest with you right obviously i want to work with him but uh that's that's up to him so i don't i don't right. know what's going on <laughs> okay um now, I've always been guarded about the money coming in to me from Sirius and other places because it always feels like found money that might disappear someday. And again, without saying names, I have one particular friend who grew to depend on it, and one day it just disappeared. Yeah, right. And so I always have this sense of like, wow, this is so great, but it could be this might be the last one you know like is Sirius going to be around indefinitely no nothing's going to be around indefinitely we're all going to die from the coronavirus <laughs> what are you talking about are you serious Very topical yeah. this is all going to go away that's the that's the other thing like i'm not i'm going to have like i'm going to have to have this podcast thing because Sirius is going to go away and then there's not going to be a you lucky dog productions. Like yeah, that fear is there every day. So like I, I started this business that depends on this other entity to, uh, basically exist for me to be viable. And, uh, yeah, we're all at the mercy of it and they know it. Right. And they would, they want to exist, but they might not, not it might not be within their control. Or maybe another rival comes along and does it even better, or a different sort of portal. You know, portal into royalty heaven is opened by some other crazy machine. Right? It's it's certainly possible. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It sure seems like they they have a stranglehold on things right now, but things seem to change pretty rapidly sometimes. So I mean, I'm it's hard for for me to be shocked by any kind of development these days. So yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, it is one right. of it is one of those things. Like I have the same mentality of like, yeah, this is this is cool now. Could always be better. Could always be better. But uh, this is not gonna last for ten years. That's that's what I tell myself. Like, yeah, you probably got ten years, and then you got to figure out something else out. Because I just assume that this isn't gonna last. But there's always going to be some new, different media that has the same needs. And stand-up comedy is so convenient for... Because it doesn't require this gigantic machine to exist of cameramen and writers and, you know, producers. And it's just a one-man machine. It feels like a form that will survive the different media as we go forward, but... Yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't know nothing about nothing. That's what's kind of fascinating about it. I mean, really, the I can't speak on this as a as a complete expert, but what I'm what I think I know is that um, you know, SiriusXM doesn't pay well because they're generous. SiriusXM pays well because the government told them to pay well. Yeah, and because it, it's a business model that works for them. Right. They're not building any of that content the stand-up stuff they're just playing it <laughs> yeah and i mean right. there are organizations that you know sound exchanges is, is great and there's all kinds of organizations that fight for the rights of artists and <clears throat> excuse me and uh copyright holders so uh, there are people you know in your corner as far as trying to get you the most money that you know you're you're entitled to right but, I oh, mean, yeah. you just never know how any of this stuff is going to go. 
Right. That's right. All right. Last question. What What about other things that are under the umbrella of you, Lucky Dog? Are you going to venture into the universe of live shows or video specials? Or is that too far down the road as you're trying to power through your crazy list of shit to do? Did you envision that being a part of the story someday? What do you What are your thoughts on some of that? Yeah, I do. Like uh, video specials and, and more showcase stuffs, maybe putting together like mini tours, things like that. Those are things that I'd like to do. Um, excuse me. And that goes back to just me being able to, to delegate other things so I can concentrate on growing in different fields and aspects of it. So, right. yeah, it's... Uh, it's in the plans. It's a far off plan at this point. I, I think this year is pretty much decided for me <laughs> already where I need to go and where I need to put my energy. So I, I definitely think that it's probably sooner than later. I just don't know. I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a hell of a foundation, you know, the, the, to, to go from not doing this to doing this seems like the biggest step. And you've successfully made that step and many others since. And you get some, uh, you know, a handful of these albums and things get lots of plays. I mean, then you have a platform from which to build whatever you want, right? Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... It's an interesting thing. It's <laughs> fascinating. That's I, why I wanted to interview. I kind of have to take hold of, of all these things and and just register it in my brain because my, my inner monologue is kind of mean to myself sometimes. And I go like, well, relax, man. Like everything's like you've built this foundation. Don't screw it up. And you could just keep doing things that you like and enjoy and things are gonna be okay don't worry about right. it <laughs> right right yeah it's a good speech <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> for all of us yeah right <laughs> all right man anything i forgot to ask you you want to say about this whole crazy process i don't know you're the charlie rose here buddy i don't all know. right well i thank you for taking the few beats and opening up your uh you know your soul and your <laughs> and your experience to uh let me poke around in there it's fascinating i love that you're doing it and keep doing it and crush it man thanks man i appreciate it i i hope that this came off as somewhat hopeful <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely now whatever those strings are that you pull from where you sit where you get plays for people yeah pull a couple on the kostaki uh string would you jesus the new the new <laughs> stuff is getting played is it yeah you should you should start seeing that pretty soon i should look closer all right okay yeah. good yeah well thanks for pulling on the string then hey you got it bud. you got it <laughs> that's what i meant to say <laughs> 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 Great talk, man. Let's talk again soon. All righty. <laughs>